I'm Kat, and welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale. Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. That we do. And here's your disclaimer chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content, descriptions of potentially violent scenarios, so your listener discretion is advised. And you have been warned, and before we get into today's Crime Chat, Kat, what have you done and where the hell are you? I'm, I'm feeling festive. <laughs> if you listened last week, Natalie got me green screen for my birthday, so I've been playing around with my backgrounds, and I've got like these festive lights on behind me, so if you're watching the Patreon, you're watching the video, I'm all festive, all the festivities. Are you, have you decorated at all, or gotten any shopping done, anything? I have gone shopping, mm-hmm. um, I am like, I want to say 70% done Perfect. with my shopping, I got done early for some reason, it was very easy this year, Yeah, I don't know why. I'm right there with you. I'm like 80, 90%. I'm almost done. Got a few more things left to get. Now, do you do like the Amazon, I'll buy it and ship it to the person? I have done that before. My son, that's in California, shipped him a couple things. That shipping from the East Coast to the West Coast is fucking expensive. It cost me more to ship him than what was worth in the gift I'm giving him. Yeah, why is that? Why does California, why are the prices so high? I have no idea. I don't like it. Crazy. (laughs) And I I did it the cheapest I could do it. And it was a big box and it weighed weighed a lot because I had like, you know, I put a bunch of stuff in it. And the reason why it was mm-hmm. so big is the one main gift that's in there which i'm not gonna say goes for christmas just by chance he's listening um was big it didn't weigh a lot okay. but it's just bulky so i think with the size yeah. of it i had to do it ground so he's gonna get it in like i don't know two weeks <laughs> and i paid all of that for like the cheapest i could get it at least he'll get it before christmas so am i and then my older son's planning on coming home for christmas so i'm excited about that you're doing the whole christmas thing you're gonna do the dinner yeah all that it'll be stuff. super laid back though so we don't i mean kids are gone like my mother-in-law's gone mm-hmm. my stepson is still here so we'll pro- we'll see him but it's gonna be just very low-key which is the way we like it very intimate and small you know just mm-hmm. not a big fuss but still celebrating everything you know the holiday and everything right. so but do you guys do it right. big right for 20 something years I was the host of the mm-hmm. parties and I always went big like I my house looked like Macy's. yeah like it was and I always had 30 to 50 people at my Gosh. house you know just like a buffet style meal mm-hmm. later on you know what I don't need these big extravagant meals anymore I kind of want to veg out watch Netflix oh, yeah. and oh open yeah my gifts oh yeah no that sounds perfect and that you deserve it you deserve it yeah. but I Speaking of Netflix, have you seen the Texas Killing Fields? No, I have not, but I heard about it. Is it good? Yes. Yes. It's like a, it's a limited series. I think it's three episodes and it goes back to like this, it's in the same kind of area between Houston and Corpus Christi, Galveston, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. in that area of Texas on the Gulf. And just these young, I think the youngest was 12 and the oldest might've been early twenties. So in like that 10 year span, all girls, some sexually motivated in their end, they thought a group of them were kind of tied and, and related from being a serial killer. But those were kind of done in the 70s or 80s. And then there was a couple, another spurt in the 90s. In 2005, it ended up being, there was a guy who was arrested for something separate, but ended up confessing to these 
field killings and then the other ones that were found but it was along the same stretch of highway I think it was I-45 like the same stretch of highway which I mean you know highways are like kind of really important a lot of times to identifying killers and you know Mm -hmm. especially truck drivers right so they travel Mm -hmm. a lot and they get they're just gone and they get have a chance to kind of hide in plain sight so it wasn't a truck driver or anything like that but the fact that it was such a heavily traveled road and highway you know Mm -hmm. so there was two guys that ended up being responsible I think for the two separate things but it was a a fantastic documentary very fascinating I watched that um limited series I think it was called Killer Sally yes I saw that do you like it yes that was that was super interesting like do you think he was an abuser yeah oh yeah I think they both were yeah but but even her kids eventually said too like she was uh, she could be aggressive as well like maybe an instigator doesn't mean you deserve Mm -hmm. to be beat and just because they beat you doesn't mean you deserve that they should die you know so it was it was kind of a it was just a bad situation I think altogether. yeah but she's out now I know I know and she fell in love again and remarried and yeah yeah I think it was a toxic relationship from the get-go but yeah that was a good series that was a good little docu-series but and mm. we're well we're finally finally three years later watching Mindhunter Mindhunter never saw it <laughs> It was, it's been on my watch list forever. Oh, you're going to love it. It should be coming out with the next season soon. Oh, I'm excited because okay. uh, we just were about four episodes into season two. And that was all just from okay. yesterday. <laughs> that, was a, that was a lazy Netflix Sunday. Yeah, that's a great series. Fantastic. So they just talked about a couple, actually a couple of the people we're going to talk about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you, Natalie. Just so you know, the script is in front of me right now and it just says serial killer trivia and she didn't list any questions. So this is really <laughs> a pop quiz right now. It is. I have no idea. Okay. And cue game show music. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you to Yes. Instead of verbal answers, can I give sound effects? Oof. Descriptions of things. Does that count? Oh, yeah. Can I call a friend? Can you can you phone a friend? I will I will try to give you hints. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Question number one. Ted Bundy, right? Famous serial mm-hmm. killer, convicted of aggravated kidnapping in 1976, sentenced to one to fifteen years confinement in Utah State. While incarcerated, he was charged with of the murder of Karen Campbell in Colorado. And again, thanks to forensic evidence discovered in um, the Volkswagen that he owned. The hairs behind mm-hmm. the back seat, blood under the front door panel. This famous Volkswagen Beagle, Beetle. Do you know where it is? Where can it be found? No idea, but I know the color. Hmm? Yellow. Yeah, right? like a yellow, like a like a vanilla, like yellow color. Yeah. I do not know where his car is. No, where? It is it? on display at the Alcatraz East Crime Museum in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. I, I didn't know they had a museum like that. I didn't. I, I remember either watching the, the movie that... Uh, Zach Efron played Ted Bundy. Um, ex- extremely mm-hmm. vile and sh- extremely shockingly vile. Something. It, whatever he's mm-hmm. the judge called him is what they ended up naming the movie after. And then listening to the Ted Bundy tapes. What they you know they they kind of talked a little bit about the vehicle. And I remember in one of those episodes they actually said where it was at. And it, yeah, the Alcatraz East. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number two. How did investigators? Finally, zero in on the Golden State Killer. Also called the East Area Rapist, East Bay Rapist, Original Night Stalker. This is DNA. Yeah. DNA. So 40 years later, DNA caught up with him. Yep. In 2018, police arrested 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo on suspicion of being the Golden State Killer. The investigators arrived to their conclusion through a DNA match in genealogy database. We talked about this. Genetic genealogy. I got it. Yay. 
Yay! Ding, 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 ding. You'll get this one. This one kind of goes back to Mindhunter. Okay. Okay. Who is known as the Atlanta child killer despite not being charged with actually killing any children? It was renowned FBI profiler John Douglas and in the TV show Holton Ford okay. who worked on the case. And Is it? Yes. Is it in Mindhunter? It's not Edmund Kemper, is it? Edmund Kemper was like huge. They kept going, they kept going back to Edmund Kemper for like interviews and. I have no idea who that is. Wayne Williams? I don't know him. Really? You don't remember? So in Mindhunter, I mean, so it's very fresh for me, obviously, but I know you watched it a while ago, but Mm -hmm. in there, like especially in this season two, which is where we're at right now, the two main characters go back to Atlanta when all of these young black children were being, were missing between the ages, I want to say of like seven and 14. They're trying to profile who it was and and once they profiled a a black man actually doing the abduction and the murders Mm -hmm. originally the politics in the atlanta area kind of was like thank you fbi for coming you know bye-bye but yeah so i haven't in in the series in the mindhunter series i haven't we haven't got to that conclusion yet but i do know it's wayne wayne williams yeah yeah oh i thought you would have got that one you might know this one okay so think bailey sarian okay our fave right okay yeah she did a an episode on a husband and wife from canada who were called the infamous ken and barbie serial killers the couple's first victims was a 15 year old sister tammy does this sound familiar? Yeah. Who died on Christmas Eve in 1990. The husband drug the drinks, and once the sister was out, she videotaped his wife performing oral sex on her sister. Uh, do you know who they are? Do you remember their names? Or even the nickname? It's Ken and Barbie. Yes. From Canada. <laughs> yes. Husband and wife, Paul Bernando and Carla Homolka. Uh, they were named the Ken and Barbie serial killers for their argumentably resemblance, right? That's kind of, they kind of resembled each other as plastic dolls so that's kind of how they got their name question number five what killer known as the kansas city strangler was caught again by dna from old crimes do you remember kansas city strangler i'm drawing a blank so the dna was still talking in 2004 when crime lab workers tested evidence from unsolved murder cases and linked them to the deaths of 13 women only proved that he had sex with the women and the majority of the women were prostitutes the judge didn't go for that argument he but he was found guilty on six of seven murder charges leveled against him his name was lorenzo gilliard sounds vaguely familiar god i suck no you don't Oh, you did great. This was what just that? like... Th- I, got, I got one right. Maybe two if you accept extra credit. I say three. Okay. <laughs> it's crime chat math. <laughs> we wanted to play a little game getting into your topic for today. All right, Kat, are you ready for my crime chat? Yes. Rodney Alcala. Have you ever heard of him? No. I'm sure you have. And you can be like, oh, that guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude. Oh. Okay. He was known as the dating game killer because he was the winning contestant on the popular TV show, The Dating Game, in 1978. Oh, jeez. Only in the 70s. Only in the 70s. You're right. Crazy part of this is that he appeared on the show during his crime spree. Wow. We, we are like, we are flooding ourselves with narcissism. We are. We are. <laughs> And it's mind-blowing because not only did, did, was he in the middle of his crime spree, but he had a past criminal record. And we're going to get into that. Okay. We're going to get into okay. that. Rodney Alcala was born on August 23rd, 1943 in San Antonio, Texas to mother Ana Gutierrez and father Paul Baker. 
He had an older brother and two sisters. The family lived in Texas till about 1951. His father moves the whole family to Mexico because the father's mother was not feeling well. Mm-hmm. They wanted the family to be all together during her final days. Okay. I guess it took about three years till the grandmother passed okay. away, but then the father just got up and abandoned his family. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. So Rodney's mother took her family and moved back to Los Angeles. From this point on, they had a pretty normal family life. Rodney was known as being charming and a kind person at Aww. the time. He was really intelligent, so his IQ came in around 170. Holy cow! I know, which is insane, because he, he technically is known. You can Google this. He is known as being one of the most intelligent serial killers to date. He's number wow. one on any list. Followed by Ted Kaczynski, which is the Unabomber. Mm-hmm. He came in at about 167. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, Edmund Kemper mm. was in around 145. They portrayed him in Night Stalker, Ed Kemper, like, I believe, and probably from listening mm-hmm. to the recordings and everything, I believe in such an accurate way, which gives you the impression of how intelligent he actually is. Yeah. I think they did a great job yes. with him. When you go back and watch the actual footage, I can't tell the difference between the actor oh, yeah. and the serial yeah. killer. They were that on. So 170 IQ, cat. that's pretty freaking yeah. high. That's higher than Einstein and Stephen Hawkins, but not as high as George Hodel. Oh! He came in at 186, uh-huh. but he was not a convicted serial killer, so he's not on this list. Uh, that's all right. He killed Black Dahlia. It's fine. Yeah, we came to that conclusion good. last season. We proved it. <laughs> <laughs> What's crazy, with all that brain power, cat. You choose violence. Wake up in the morning and you choose violence. Because they think they can get away with anything. I'm That's smarter right. than you. Right. I can I can outsmart this. And, and Ed Kemper even said it himself. If they don't want to get caught, they won't. If they're good. Yeah. And the only reason he got caught is because he called and turned himself in. That's yeah. right. Oh my yeah. God. When Rodney was 17 years old, he decided to enroll into the Army, but after three years of serving, he had a mental breakdown and was medically Hmm. discharged due to mental health reasons. The doctor diagnosed him with an antisocial personality disorder, and he Mm -hmm. spent some time in the hospital for this. When he got out of the hospital, he enrolled into the UCLA Fine Arts Program as a photography major. Mm -hmm. He graduated in 1968, 25 years old. At this point, it had been proven later on. Now, I'm just going to say like during this time he had already been committing crimes okay they did prove it later on but way way four decades later okay it is speculated that he committed up to 130 crimes total but he's never been convicted so they're thinking that his killing spree was somewhere around 130 okay which would make him like the most notorious murderer ever pretty high up there yeah in 1968, an eight-year-old girl named Tally Shapiro was walking down Sunset Boulevard when Romney pulled up next to her and managed to lure her into his car. But when he did this, there was a witness who saw this, and the witness followed Rodney's car all the way oh. back to his apartment. So the witness, thank God, called the police, and police arrived pretty quickly. Now this is going to drive you crazy because you're you you were mm-hmm. you have law enforcement in the background, so mm-hmm. just think about this. Okay, so police arrived, knocked on his door. Rodney answered the door, smiling and saying, oh, yeah, sure. I'm just going to go take a quick shower. I'll be right back. He shut the door and the police 
waited three minutes past before they were like, wait a minute. So the the levels and kind of on the scale of probable cause yeah. and the ability to enter a dwelling without a warrant, uh. if we're extenuating circumstances, right? If they had the eyewitness, maybe the eyewitness points out and said, yes, that's him. He abducted right. this girl. The level and kind of that range of weighing of probable cause. It, uh, okay, so question two, being this was in the late 60s, right? Mm-hmm, 68. Um, was... So he and he was Hispanic, he's Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and I'm gonna presume the police officers were probably white. So, okay. there was brutality that they also had to consider when it comes to like anybody could have made it out of out of race at that point in time, too. Do you think that would happen today if a witness said he just abducted a child and that child is in that house with him? Would that would would that perp be able to shut that door? They wouldn't be able to take a shower. They could shut the door on their face and say, or, or tell them, I'll be right back, I'm going to take a shower. That probably right. wouldn't happen. It's all presumptive here, right? So, but I, they, he could shut the door in his face and say, you have no reason to be here. Come, if you need to search my house, come back with a warrant. He very well could do that. Even when a kid is involved, like, police don't have, like, the, at that point, just say. If you, you only have one eyewitness, a lot of times, because we, we've even talked about it, like, eyewitness cases mm-hmm are not always accurate right so yeah, that really kind of depends and it depends on that propensity of likeliness that this yeah. have actually happened now if they were to positively identify let's say there was two three witnesses that saw somebody saw this and saw the kid go getting being drug into the house kicking and screaming that probably they right. probably would have been able to do um like just, just go, go in. in yeah because they're at that point in time i mean the child is life is in danger they ended up waiting a couple minutes but then they knocked the door down police ended up walking into the apartment and they saw eight-year-old talia lying on the floor in a pool of blood yeah she had been badly beaten and severely wounded she had a really severe head injury and there was a metal bar still pressed up against her neck Oh. Where he tried to strangle yeah. her. A police actually thought that she was dead when they saw her because of the wounds and the amount of blood that was pooling around her. She started to gag and breathe. <gasps> so police were frantically oh my trying to help her to make sure she's okay getting her to the hospital. And they did. They rushed her to the hospital. She did go into a coma for 32 days. When she woke up, she spent months and months learning how to do things like eat and walk again. Wow. Eight years old, this poor kid. Oh, she survived. She survived. She's she survived that thank god we're gonna rewind for a second okay when police arrived at rodney's apartment remember they allowed rodney to shut the door and wait for him to take a shower but this actually gave him enough time to flee and when police entered the apartment they were more concerned of the child and making sure she was okay obviously and they didn't chase him down right away Mm -hmm. But it gave him just enough time to get out when of there. He, so when the police went, actually went into the apartment, he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So they did break entry, essentially, mm-hmm. anyways. And I'm wondering at this point in time, this is when I would have been looking in windows, peeking around, like what else is going on like while he's in, taking a shower, right? Right. And maybe they, they saw her like through a window or something. At this point, 
They didn't know who the attacker was. They didn't know who they were looking for. They found his identification. They also found a ton of photography equipment and tons of photos of young girls and young women. Mm. A lot of them was sexually explicit. Trophies. They knew immediately this guy was dangerous. Not only did he have all these photos, but also, of course, the Mm eight-year-old badly beaten. And she was Mm. raped. And unfortunately, it would be a really really long time before Rhodes led to Rodney because he actually fled to New York City at this point. Oh, okay. And he changed his name to John Berger. (laughs) Now, I know it's spelled B- E-R, but it's actually pronounced yeah. burger. Like, like, like the food. burger. Like what I just ate the mm. other night, which was really, really Yummy. good. Oh, by the way, I had a freaking amazing burger. So, Chatters, if you ever go to Ford's restaurant. Yes, I love Ford's. Isn't it great? They have an estate burger. Oh, my God. Yeah. Cat. Yeah. Gouda. Caramelized onions. Oh, yeah. I love Ford's. Truffle oil. I'm like, what the hell am I eating right <laughs> now? Oh, my God. It was so good. Was that in Fort Myers? Or do they have, because I think they've got one in Cape Coral and one in Fort Myers. Fort Myers and 10 times better than the one in Sarasota. I do not recommend going to the one in Sarasota <laughs> because I'll be honest with right now, it's it's like an auditorium. You walk in and you can't hear yourself think. Oh, it's so it's echoey. so freaking loud. Yeah. But the one in Fort Myers, like small enough to be quaint and homey. Mm-hmm. So it was nice. It was really And nice. that's based chatters off of Henry Ford. Last weekend, I went to the Ford and Edison Museum. Yes, up right there in McGregor. Love it. Yep. Love it's it. Gorgeous. Did you go into Edison Home too? Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, because of the hurricane, like all these beautiful mm. trees and oaks that we remember are gone. And they decorate it gorgeous for Christmas too. Was it yeah. decorated? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's beautiful. Oh. I want I want to live there. I want to just cascade down the steps, you know? <laughs> Hit my head on the ceiling because they're so fucking low. I they don't are know why low. they were so short back then. Everybody People weren't so as short. tall as they are now? I have no idea. I know. Okay, back to the story. And we're back. <laughs> so, <laughs> once he was in New York, he decided to go back to school, and he enrolls into another program at NYU. Mm-hmm. For the next three years, he went undetected as John Berger. He finished his three-year degree in 1971. He was 28 at the time. He managed to get a job as a camp counselor with an all-girls camp cat. Oh, perfect for him. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, so we had a, uh, overseas, this was a huge case with us, we had a, um, a civilian gentleman who wasn't military, but he, so he worked for, um, they called NAF, the Non-Appropriated Funds, as a government civilian in the mm. youth center. And he was, I want to say he was in Germany, and he was being investigated German officials and our organization was investigating him for sexual related crimes and he fled to the United States leaving Germany but of course we tracked him down I think he was in like Kentucky or something like that but right um I don't know that they were actually ever able to prove but I did some some victim related interviews of of some of his potential victims who were by this time because he had done it for years and years and years by this time they were in college you know and to see People, young young girls who something horrible like that had happened to them and then just wanting mm-hmm. to put it behind them while they go off and they're in college and like starting their new lives and being, up, being the one to kind of bring up some of the stuff because you have to be able to get the information from them and you're bringing them back to some yeah. dark times it was hard yeah okay we're back again <laughs> i had to i had to take i had to tell a little story there are so many reasons why i would go to jail i know <laughs> okay 
So while he was in New York, he uh, started working as a freelance photographer in Manhattan. So basically, he would go up to young girls. Like, this was his MO. Mm -hmm. He would go up to young girls and say, hey, you're so beautiful. You can be a model. Can I take a picture of you? That sounds very familiar. How fucking creepy is that? That's what Ed Kemper did. Oh my god, you know what? We have to do Ed Kemper. No, wait. Was it Ed, was it Ed Kemper or was it the shoe, the guy who had the shoe fetish? Uh, Jerry, yeah, it was Jerry something. Jerry Bolden, Bergen. He was the one who did the same thing where he was a photographer and he would, he had like over 100 pairs of shoes in his garage. That's right. Yeah. That nasty little man. Yep. He was nasty. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, either way, it's a freaking creepy thing for men it to is. do. And this is the 70s. This was like at the pinnacle of creepiness. And it was also much the decade of serial mm-hmm. killer. Yeah. So the crime wave was really high, especially in New York. It was probably also a reason why he went undetected for so long because it just, it was mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, I New York in the 70s, I was too young. I was... I was born in the 70s. I remember in the 80s, it wasn't the safest place. Mm -hmm. Not like it was in the 90s. Yep. Yeah. For the first time that we know of, he committed a crime in New York. It was in 1971. So they assume that 1971 was kind of the first time he killed in New York City. The murder was of a 23-year-old flight attendant, Cornelia. She had just moved to Manhattan after growing up in Queens, and she was working at Trans World Airlines. TWA. TWA! On June 24th, she moved into her apartment on 83rd Street, and her boyfriend had been trying to get in contact with her. He went to check on her. He knocked at the front door, no answer. He tried calling her a few times, no answer. Then he got worried and he called the police. When the police arrived, they entered the apartment and found Cornelia. She was gagged, raped, strangled with a stocking. Mm. She had a bite mark on her left breast, but the evidence of the bite mark went missing. <sighs> yeah, tracking of evidence back then too was horrible. Yeah, it was like right before everything went on the computer. We had a database. Well, and then even crime scene contamination and cross-contamination, like they didn't protect the integrity of a crime scene as much as realizing obviously through mistakes and learning and and advancement mm-hmm. of technology like the things that they actually can get from a crime scene yeah it was so much better thank god for mine hunter yes <laughs> thank you john douglas so 40 years later dna helped connect rodney with this crime the team of detectives were unable to find any new leads mm-hmm. on rodney so the case for cornelia went unsolved for 40 years mm. meanwhile in L.A., Tali Shapiro's rape and attempted murder was still open and police were looking for Rodney. They knew it was Rodney. Yeah. But they didn't know where he went. And now we know he's in New York as John Berger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The LAPD finally decided to contact the FBI in 1971. Mm-hmm. Rodney Akala was put on the FBI top 10 most wanted list. Reports started pouring in, including girls from the camp in New Hampshire that he worked at. Ooh. All the reports that came in identified like, but that, his name was John Berger. But was it? Was it? (laughs) Rodney was found in Mm -hmm. New York and arrested. He was sent back to LA to start trial for the rape and attempted murder of Tally, but Tally's family at, at that point moved to Mexico and did not want her to testify. Oh. Rodney would not be charged. This is crazy. There's nothing you can do to put this man mm. behind bars. You have a witness. You have his identification. You have a beaten eight-year-old in his mm-hmm. kitchen and the photos of other. all these mm-hmm. other potential mm-hmm. victims in his apartment. And I understand why the family wouldn't let right. her testify, but without her testimony... 
they couldn't do anything. They can only charge him for an assault, and that was three years in jail. Was so this was forty years later as well, or no? Because if she was, if she was eight at no, the time, this, this was back in nineteen seventy one. Okay, okay, okay. When he was when he was arrested, and okay, yeah. So FBI put him on the list as Rodney Alcala, and then people started reporting that's John. John. Yeah, John. And Berger. that's where they made the connection. Okay, okay. So in 1974, when he was 31, he was released and he was back on mm-hmm. the streets. Two months later, he was arrested for assault of a 13-year-old, oh. Julie Johnny. While in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Rodney lured her into his car saying that he would drop her off at school. However, when they passed her school, Julie got nervous and asked several times to be released. Rodney kept on saying to her, just hold on, be quiet. Then he drove her to the beach and he forced her to smoke pot with him, marijuana, and then he started kissing her mm. and groping her. A park ranger came by and arrested both of them for smoking <laughs> weed. <laughs> I know, I know. Never mind, he's with a 13 year old, a 31 with a 13 year old girl. 70s. They, it was just so. Well, <sighs> yeah. This violated his parole, so he went back to jail. He served another two years. Crazy that this guy was on the FBI most wanted, and he just gets another two years. In 1977, after two years in prison, he got paroled again. Mm-hmm. And the craziest part of this is that after he got paroled, he went to his parole officer and said, Hey, do you mind if I go back to New York to visit family? And the parole officer is like, yeah, sure, go ahead, go. Yeah, no problem. Bye. Go, go to New York. I just, you know what it is? I find it baffling mm-hmm. that there were so many parts at play here and nobody was connecting the dots the yeah. way we would connect them today. Like, it's just. And it sh- you, the sharing of communication, we know we've talked about it before, was definitely not at, the, at where it's at today in right. being able to get everybody on the same page because they want to be the ones to be like, well, we don't have anything else. We need to do our true investigative work to try and find out but that also includes nowadays i mean communicating with other departments local law enforcement federal law enforcement state level Mm -hmm. law enforcement right international interpol yeah it's widely believed that he was committing crimes in new york but he managed to stay off the radar because at this time in new york remember the son of sam was out yes and he was basically taking over the media and people were freak the fuck out yep. they just didn't see anything but son of sam yep i guess this kind of helped him go unnoticed for a while many years later he would be connected to the murder of 23 year old ellen jane harvard in the summer of 1977 he actually killed her just a few weeks after his parole allowed him to go to new york yeah. he's probably laughing to himself like haha gotcha sucker yeah yeah no no, no. he thinks he's the smartest person in the room at this yeah. point Ellen was the daughter of a very popular Hollywood nightclub owner called Ciro's. You know Ciro's, right? We've talked about Ciro's, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like a, it's like a Studio 54 in LA. Yeah, like, yeah. It was a very popular place. Yeah. And she was the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Oh my gosh. Was she targeted or was? do you think that was a random? I think it was okay. random. Just happened to be the godchild of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. This case obviously was very high profile. She was described as beautiful, sweet, a trusting girl, and she was last seen in her apartment. A missing persons report was filed. Police found a journal that she kept in her bedroom, and she stated in her last entry, I had a date with John Berger. That's what we call a clue. They may lose it. You don't don't know. know. 
So Ellen's stepfather actually hired a private investigator to go find out who the hell John Berger was, mm-hmm. but the connection wasn't made between John Berger and Rodney Ocala. It still wasn't connected. Mm-hmm. Like the FBI did so much to put him on the list. They had people calling in. They had people saying the words John Berger, but yet people in L.A. weren't connecting the dots. Mm. I don't. I can't. I don't know. I just can't. So at this point, it just went as a missing persons okay. report. But a year later, her bones were found in Westchester County in mm. New York. Forty years after that is when her case would actually be solved and connected to Rod. Was that through DNA? DNA. In 1977, Rodney moved back to L.A. and started going under his real name, Rodney, and left John Berger behind. He actually managed to get another job. Once again, like today we have checks Mm -hmm. and background checks and stuff, but none of this was going Mm -hmm. on back then. He got a job at the L.A. Times as a freelance photographer between 1977 and 1979. It's actually believed that he committed about 100 murders during Mm. this time. Hey, honey, you look good. You want to get your picture taken? You want to be a model? Yeah. Right. I work for the LA Times. It is believed that he managed to go unnoticed again because a lot of people thought that the murders were being committed by the Hillside Stranglers. Okay, okay. Some more serial killers that are on the loose in the 70s. Yes. He was compared to Ted Bundy. He would approach young girls. He would say, you're beautiful. You should be a model. Let me take a picture of you. He was charming. And he got a lot of girls to say yes. Mm -hmm. And back then, if you think about it, we didn't have Google. We didn't have the internet. A lot of the research to be a model wasn't there. And when you had this this photographer that works at the LA Times saying, you got what it takes. Mm -hmm. You risk it. You're like, you know, this could be my break. Yeah. So what he would do is he would take the girls to a bunch of different locations and he would take these photos of them and they were usually very explicit and he would rape them, beat them, strangle them until they were unconscious and then he would let them gain consciousness again and then he would strangle them again until they eventually, until he eventually killed and them. And he totally tortured them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor babies. What makes this case even more insane, which I'm sure you've been waiting for, Kat, uh, right in the middle of his crime spree, on September 13th, 1973, he was a contestant on a very popular game show called The Dating Game. Mm, Ever heard of it? Yes. Yes. Have you ever watched it? You know, I think I have it probably at some point, but I can't tell you the last time. It was something like our parents did. Yeah, I think it's still on the Game Show Network. Is it I really? think so. Reruns? Not yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Reruns from the 70s. And- on the dating game, there was one bachelorette and there were three bachelors. And without seeing the three bachelors, the bachelorette had to choose between the guys on who to take on a special date. Mm -hmm. Rodney was bachelor number one. And the host of the show introduced bachelor number (laughs) one as a successful photographer and that he had interests in skydiving and motorcycling. What makes this sickening is that he had already been a registered sex offender. He had been to prison multiple times Mm. and he had already been on the FBI top 10 most (laughs) wanted list. (laughs) I guess I guess the um, producers didn't do their homework either. And this isn't small stuff. Yeah. Cheryl Bradshaw was the bachelorette during the show, and she was just this small-town drama teacher. She was pretty – I mean, when you see her on the show, she was, like, super excited. Yeah. Glowing. Yes. In the show, she has to ask these provocative, cheesy questions, and the three contestants have to answer her back 
with their best cheeky, cringeworthy response because it's the 70s. Uh, One of her questions was, if you were something I was serving for dinner, what would you be? <laughs> Rodney answered back, I would be a banana. <laughs> I can't remember. She's something like, well, what would you taste like or what would you look like? And she, he's like, just peel me. What do you expect them to say? Like, it's going to be banana or eggplant. I mean, uh, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, It was 70s cringeworthy. But Kat, guess what? what? He won. Ugh, of course he did. Of course he did. They were supposed to go on a date. However, after the show, they go backstage into the green room and they have like a chance to speak for the first time. Mm-hmm. And after like five minutes with him, she was like, hell no, I'm not going on a date with him. He's super freaky. Like he's super creepy. And that was five minutes. With go Cheryl. Yeah. Thank God. That saved her yes. life. Yes. Yeah. And on top of that, Bachelor number two, the guy that was sitting next to him also said to producers, this guy is super creepy. Like he was saying some really dark stuff to me mm. while he was sitting next to him. Oh, jeez. Yeah. The dating game show was right in the middle of his crime spree. So after this, he just continued mm-hmm. with his crime. Mm-hmm. On February 12th, 1979, a 15-year-old girl, Monique Haig, had been hitchhiking in Riverside County and Rodney picked her up and took her back to his place where they allegedly had consensual sex. Mm. For the next day, he took her to the mountains to take some photos of her. He took explicit photos of her, of course. She tried to get away. He grabbed her. He beat her till she was unconscious. He raped her. And then he just dropped her off at home like it was nothing. She notified police and police finally caught him. Wow. But, I mean, and there was, Mindhunter keeps coming back to mind, but, like, Ed Kemper on there, he was saying that he didn't kill everybody, but the ones that he let go is because he really liked them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he must have really liked her. Like, maybe we can do this again, and I can live out my fantasy with you again, versus having to live vicariously through pictures or souvenirs or something. Uh, Unfortunately, this was not before January 20th, 1979. On this day, 12-year-old Robin was hanging out with her friend Bridget at Huntington Beach, which is just outside L.A., Mm -hmm. and they were approached by Rodney, and he had a camera, and he told Robin, you're so beautiful, you could be a model, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And Robin agrees for him to take some photos of her, and she went off with Rodney, and Bridget went home. Okay. Robin never made it back, and police, they started off questioning her friend Bridget, and she told police about a creepy man at the beach that she actually managed to give them the most descriptive sketch Mm -hmm. that I've ever seen of a perp before. Like, she got his likeness Mm -hmm. so good. If you see him, and then you see his sketch, you're like... That's the same Do you person. have a copy of it? I do. I do. Awesome. It's going to be a bunch of pictures on the Patreon. Awesome. So, and it was spot on. It looked just like him. Yeah. This picture went all over the media and Rodney's parole officer saw it and he called it in. Uh. He said, I- I know this man. This looks just like Rodney Alcala. I let him go. <laughs> uh, oops. Several other witnesses came forward to police saying that they had seen the man that looked like the sketch Mm -hmm. around Huntington Beach. Uh, 12 days later, a park ranger found Robin's remains. Mm. Her remains had been ravaged by animals. Parts of her body were missing. And due to the state of her body, they were unable to determine if she was sexually assaulted. Robin's mother wanted to see her daughter and i and i and i yeah yeah that's rough though the police stated we can't do that because it took us three days to identify her the mother not really connecting the dots they they i think they were thinking that it was the hillside strangler they didn't Mm -hmm. know 
Mm. And she was yelling at police, was saying things like, what's wrong with you people? How many little girls with long blonde hair disappear? The police officer said to her, there was no hair. <gasps> there was nothing. Oh. It's 12 days oh. later. They eventually located mm-hmm. Rodney again. On July 24th, 1979, he was held without bail. They started building a case against him. Mm. They went to search his place, and they also included his mother's place mm-hmm. in L.A., and they found a receipt for a storage unit in Seattle, okay. which he had rented out just Days before he was arrested, the sketch online freaked him out enough to be like, I gotta hide some mm-hmm. evidence. When police went to the storage unit, they found thousands of photos of young <gasps> girls, young women, and young boys. Oh, okay. That I found out later, I was going through the pictures, and I'm like, wait, there are young, young people here like that. I want to say the youngest picture I saw was maybe five. Wow. Everybody in these photos are considered potential victims. Mm -hmm. They also found jewelry and a pair of earrings uh, that belonged to 12-year-old Robin. Good, yeah. In 1980, he was only being charged for Robin's murder, and he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Mm -hmm. However, four years later, five-to-one decision, the California State Supreme Court ruled that Rodney Ocala did not receive a fair trial. <gasps> His sentence was actually overturned because the jurors were properly informed of his prior sex offenses. Well, that would only damage it even further. Like, that's not going to help him. So, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. I know. So, uh, the fact that a serial killer... Like, we know he's a serial killer. Right. I guess they, they, they couldn't prove certain things, but on technicalities, it really yeah, it's sucks. It's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And I'm sure a lot of the detectives were like, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they knew. Mm-hmm. Just so. Yeah. Okay, so he did uh, stand a second trial, and he was found Good. guilty again, and he was sentenced to death Good. again. Okay. However. Oh, my gosh. 15 years later. His conviction was overturned. Oh my gosh. One of the witnesses stated that the park ranger who found Robin's body had been hypnotized by police investigators and was not properly handled during the trial. Mm. Okay. How, what the fuck is that? What, what is that? So in 2003, he was prosecuted again. <laughs> and this time, they weren't fucking around. They had DNA evidence. Okay. Third time's a charm, baby. Unfortunately for him, DNA evidence also linked him to a bunch of other murders. Ugh. Prosecutor actually had what they call a motion to join other cases, mm-hmm. like other evidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor was able to bring in more cases mm-hmm. and say, yeah, no, he's connected yeah. and linked in all these cases. Yeah. For the jury to say, you're going to burn in hell, like that was easy peasy at that point. Wow. Let me tell you about some other murders police were able to link him to. Okay. 18-year-old Jill Barkham, she was originally from New York and she had moved to Southern California just three weeks before her body was rolled up like a ball in a ravine in 1977. Rolled up like a ball, just like... She was naked, there were signs of sexual assault, she had been beaten, strangled, and there were three bite marks on her breast. She was originally thought to have been a victim of the Hillside Stranglers. Okay. The second murder he was linked to was 27-year-old Georgia... Wickstead. Okay. She was a registered nurse. Her naked body was found on the floor of her Malibu apartment on December 16, 1977. She was beaten, sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and tortured with a hammer, which was found 
next to her mm, bed. Hammer. Ugh. The third murder was of a 32-year-old Charlotte Lamb. She was a secretary in Santa Monica, and her naked body was found in the laundry room of a large apartment complex on June 24th, 1978. She had been sexually assaulted with a she was strangled with a shoelace. Mm. And the fourth murder he was linked to was 21-year-old Jill Parenta on June 14th, 1979, Rodney broke into her apartment. She was found on the bedroom floor, beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled. Then there's Talia Shapiro, who was older now, and she was able to testify against him in the new trial with all these extra cases coming forward. During his trial, he actually decided to represent himself because he's a fucking narcissist. he's smarter than everybody else. What sucks is that he was actually able to cross-examine Robin's Ugh. mom to be interrogated by the man who killed and raped your daughter. Yeah, that's What the yeah. fuck is that? Thankfully, though, at the end of this trial, he was reconvicted of all five yes. murders and once again was sentenced to death. In March 2010, 120 of the photos found in his storage locker was released to the public in hopes to identify more potential mm-hmm. victims. However, 900 of those photos weren't able to be released because they were too sexually mm-hmm. explicit. Within weeks of releasing these photos, 21 women came forward to identify themselves and six families came forward to identify loved ones in the photos. Mm. To this day, over 100 girls in these photos have not been identified. Mm. In 2011, DNA evidence definitively linked him to the murders of Camilla Cruley and Ellen Jane Harvard. Okay. But because he was already on death row, the New York prosecutor was like, we, we're not going to, he's, he's yeah. going to die. Like, there's yeah. no reason. So he wasn't convicted of that, despite the link. In 2013, Christine Thornton's photo was recognized by her younger sister, mm-hmm. Kathy. Christine was described as a free spirit, a beautiful girl, and in 1977, she was heading to Montana with her boyfriend. Five years later, in 1982, her body was found in Wyoming. And her sister, Kathy, tried for 40 years to find out what happened Mm -hmm. to her. Kathy met with detectives who were working the case, and she was asked to come along with them to pay Rodney a visit Mm -hmm. in prison. He was in his 70s at this point, and his health was really, really bad. Like, this man was, like, melting away. He deserved it. (laughs) He deserved it, yeah, yeah. When they showed the picture, picture of Christine he took his finger and started tapping her face on this photo like Mm -hmm. really violently and just like repeatedly and detectives felt that he was reliving the crime reliving it yeah sick yeah he admitted to taking the photo but of course he denied killing her they did try to take to trial for Christine's murder in 2016 but he was too sick to stand trial and he was never convicted of Christine's murder, but it is believed that he is guilty. Uh, they know that that it is. Like, they know. Yeah. And while a conviction of a already, of a man who's already been sentenced to so many, you know, mm. to life sentences and the death penalty, like, I yeah. can't say for sure, and I would, but I would hope that there, that would be some closure, because it's not, the justice is already being done yeah. at that point. And not to sound yeah. like I'm not being empathetic to these families, but if they, they know it. Like, and that's, I think the biggest thing is, like, I know what you did, and you're going to rot in hell. Yeah. Yeah. That's just so sad. Yeah. So, in the end, he was only convicted of five murders, but he was definitively linked to more murders, and authorities believe that he committed up to 130 murders. Mm. On July 24th, 2021, Rodney Akala passed away from natural causes at the age of 77 while waiting for his death penalty. He should have fried before then. Right? He should have. Ironically... July 24th is the same day he got arrested back in 1979. Mm. So burn in hell. (laughs) And 
rest in peace to all yes, his victims. Yes, all those babies, all those victims. Wow. And yeah. and uh, don't do it. I mean, come on, people. Don't commit Don't murder. be murdering people. Do like, no. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know what to say to, like, you think you can get away with it. I mean, and I understand there is some sort of mental instability when it comes to people who are fascinated with, you know, but then you have a, it becomes a need and a compulsion. Yeah. Turn yourself in. Like, do something because mm-hmm. I think, and not, while not all feel remorse, at some point in time, there is some remorse where it comes into that, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's like... I don't know, like, help us help you. I don't know. I think when you get to that level and you're so disassociated with what, what you're doing, I honestly think the only sympathy they have is for themselves. Yeah. Well, that's true, too. Fuck you, Rodney. Burn in hell. Burn in hell. Oh, that is crazy. Thanks for doing that story. I mean, and I kind of, I'm so glad that Cheryl identified him as a creep just yeah. right after the show ended. Uh, but it was a very interesting twist twist there and he's not even good looking cat he's (laughs) creepy looking like i i think ted bundy was way better looking than him Mm. this guy is not handsome whatsoever but being a renowned photographer i mean it it wouldn't necessarily be his looks but being able to lure people in and maybe he couldn't rely on his looks he had that what is it the bde bde you know what that Mm. is big dick energy oh (laughs) it's usually when their penises are small yeah that's overcompensate So, because we don't want to leave you hanging chatters for more information on this case, check out After That Crime Chat, only available on Patreon. Yes, and don't forget to subscribe to Crime Chat with Nat and Cat on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok to see what we have coming up. Remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, subscribe to our Patreon. You'll get bonus episodes, behind the scenes bloopers, and also merch in the work. Yes, oh, and so Nikki B, we mentioned her um, on the Lee Harvey Oswald recording. She was one of the makeup artists that was using our palette from Mad Love Cosmetics. Yes. She messaged us uh-huh. and is going to be subscribing to her Patreon because she's like, I love what you guys do. I love the palette. So shout out again to Nikki B. Nikki B. You're amazing. Thank you. And thank you, Mad Love Cosmetics. We've um, we've talked about this. We've got some things that we're, we're going to be working with them. So shout out to them. Go to www.madlovecosmetics.com and use the promo code CRIMECHAT. Let them know Nat and Cat sent you. Yeah. And um, look at all the amazing stuff that they have on there. Yes. Yes, Nikki B. Maybe she should. Uh, you should. We should reach out to her and ask her about what the next crime and cosmetic case should be. Ooh, about. Nikki, Nikki, let us know what you want to hear. Yes. But be sure to check out what next episode that we have coming. Uh, it's the holidays, mm-hmm. and we're gonna put a little holiday spookiness in there. Uh, something called the Christmas Tree Killer. Have you heard of it? I have not, and I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want to miss it. And we will see you on the next crime chat. Bye, chatter. Bye. Bye.